Today's show is brought to you in partnership with GiveSum. GiveSum is a platform that got on my radar last year. I've been watching with anticipation as they built out their solution. What they have built is brilliant. It's an online platform that allows companies who are already giving to seamlessly engage their employees in the experience by allowing them to choose the causes that matter most to them and choosing where the funds are donated. As my listeners know, I believe that corporate giving needs to be a table stakes when it comes to how we as leaders run our companies. And I also know that sometimes those donations and acts of support don't always connect to the people on our teams. GiveSum solves that problem by creating a bridge where you as a leader can now allow your team to select the causes and charities that matter most to them, and then, through the platform itself, receive direct feedback on the impact of those funds. Gone is the need for the once-a-year town hall or a company-wide email to share the, what causes the org supported last year. GiveSome allows your team to pick the charities and get direct feedback on the impact the dollars had. One of the best parts, GiveSum does not take a percentage of the donation. 100% of the dollars donated go directly to the charity and to the people who need it the most. GiveSum works with your company, and for a set fee, they administer the entire process. If you're already giving, which statistically speaking, you most likely are, visit GiveSum.com and find out how you can get your entire company involved in making a difference for the people who need it most. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest today, Mr. Jeff Russell. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing Fantastic. I love it. Calgary conspires one degree of separation. We have so many mutual friends, and then we finally got a chance to meet not that long, not that long ago. And you invited me to a, a cocktail making class at your home. So I think that sets the stage for our relationship. And this is an early morning recording, so we don't have any cocktails, but not saying that we won't maybe maybe later. Um, on that on that note, the audience is like, what? You guys, you guys are drinking buddies? No, <laughs> absolutely not. We have some common interests, but more importantly, I got to meet Jeff around this cool book that he was writing, which we're gonna get into. But let's give everybody a little window into your world. You're founder and CEO at Oak Ridge Financial Group, which I understand there's a portfolio of companies that hangs underneath that. But let's jump in the old pitch elevator and give us all, you know, what's Oak Ridge Financial Group all about? What's your reason for being? And, you know, kind of what keeps you busy day to day? And then we'll get into the talking about this really cool book you got working, you're working on. Thanks, Tyler. Uh, yeah, Oak Ridge Financial Group is my private family office. And so under that, um, I have about five companies that I work in and um, operate with that. Now, what I found was when I started it in 2004, it started as one company and it started in the basement of my house and it's called Oak Ridge Financial Group. And the Oak Ridge comes from the neighborhood I lived in, which is Oak Ridge. (laughs) And so it's not really much more complicated than that. It sounded very solid and official. So I thought, (laughs) yeah, let's just go with that. So there wasn't a lot of thought. There was no... (laughs) I appreciate the honesty, Jeff. (laughs) Yeah, there's no high level marketing. And to make matters more interesting, it was in my basement. And so uh, this is working at home before working at home was really popular popularized. So that was kind of fun. And what I started doing was uh, I had gotten a package. Uh, I had realized after 20 years of working from big companies, from everything from Xerox to Allianz, uh, ING Insurance, the Fairmont Hotels, that I was really unemployable and I needed to really start my own thing. And so luckily, one of those packages included um, career counseling uh, for the next job. And they said, you know, you're probably not the best person to work for someone else. You should consider starting your own job. And that's what I did. Did some research and discovered there is this um, industry called uh, leasing and leasing financing, leasing of equipment. So I went down to the U.S. I got trained how to do it. And all of a sudden, I'm running a 
million dollar leasing company out of my basement in 2004. Where this the pivot started to happen was I discovered that doctors um, get approved very easily. And I really was interested in the medical equipment space. And then from that, I actually started doing a lot of medical equipment leasing. That evolved into this thing called medical spas and aesthetics and cosmetics side of things. So I financed a lot of medical equipment, cosmetic equipment in the U.S. And from that, I the physicians were asking me, okay, now I have this laser, what do I do with it? Mm. And so I was actually starting to get field all these questions. And I would say, hey, you know what, this doctor over here, he set it all up, why don't you go talk to him? And uh, after doing maybe 20 or 30 of those, the doctors would call me up and say, hey, stop sending these people to me. <laughs> and so then I kind of saw, wow, this is growing. And in 2006, two years into it, I created a training company, a medical training company called the International Association for Physicians and Aesthetic Medicine. By that time, I was really, I was always cross-border, U.S., Canada. And um, so the international made sense. And it was uh, the beginning of a hugely uh, fulfilling and profitable. I just love that side of the industry. You know, it's so fun and exciting. And then from that, you know, I ended up opening a clinic in Calgary, the Glenmore Clinic, and uh, several other companies. So what I did is I followed the money, right? And I was just always <laughs> attuned to the future. I, I You got to be about two, three years in advance, like what's going to happen. And so I was lucky because in 2008, we had that big, huge crash. And so the finance business almost dried up overnight. Right. But I had this medical education company that was running very strong. We did not miss a beat during the 2008. If anything, the recessions and downturns is very positive for these, um, for these procedures. Okay. So a lot of the patients aren't getting $15,000 facelifts, but they're getting $1,500 Botox and filler liquid facelifts, right? So it was interesting. And um, going through there, so now I have three companies and then a fourth company. I'm like, okay, this is getting pretty, this is getting pretty hectic and busy. So what I started doing was reading up all the books, right? Um, scaling up, uh, traction, uh, Patrick Lencioni. I'm a mm -hmm. very, very big book reader. I read probably six business books a month, and I've done that for 15, 20 years. And so from that, I started developing my own processes and systems to run the businesses. And I found a lot of them were for the very big companies, and then some and there was nothing really for the two to five person, you yeah. know, maybe half a million to three, four, five million dollar companies. And that's where I started kind of putting my systems together just to help me. That was, you know, so I could uh, breathe and spend time with my family. I appreciate the, it's so true as, as, as an avid business book reader, so many times the scale and scope of the book you're reading, I think also just to keep it interesting or where there's an abundance of content and, and, and philosophies on running a business often apply to very large businesses. And you're like, well, that would be great if I had those layers. That would be great if I had that management layer, bringing that down and making it apply to the entrepreneur or business owner that tends to be wearing all the hats and doing all the things. It, it, it's, it's just a massive gap in, in that space. Uh, also just around information. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that was the challenge, right? And some mm. of them were too big. It's like you needed to have a COO and a, an yeah. integrator and a, you know, a team of five people to implement some of these systems to run a business. And I thought, you know, is there a better way? <laughs> and that's where I started just developing. And I found when I look back, there was four key tenants that really are critical to a business and they don't take an awful lot of time. And so as I was kind of thinking those through, I just kind of lived and, and did those, right? So that was it. And then an interesting thing happened a couple of years ago. I was offered um, eight figures for one of the businesses. And so I'm like, okay, that's a good, that's a good chunk of change. Let's consider that. And the decision not to do it was because I didn't know what I would do if I had that money, right? I didn't know what would be next. And so when I really started thinking about it, it's like, you know what? I enjoy doing what I do. So why would I quit doing it? And so I love my businesses. Now, I don't love all of the parts of my businesses, but what I've done over the years is I've bring in team members to operate those. So I only do really what I love to do. And I like to speak. I like to be at my live events. And so you know, why would I give that up? And that's when I started to look back and see, oh, yeah, I don't need to. Because I, when I started looking back, I realized, you know what, I only actually work about 10 days a month in my businesses. And so the other 20 days, I have the ability to do whatever I want. And so why wouldn't I keep the cash flow, right? Like it's not impacting me. And so that was the decision to keep that. And then as I was talking with people, they were like, you know what, that's really cool. You can do that. And I actually just thought this was normal stuff that everybody knew, right? Yeah, you systemize your business, you hire a winning team. Um, you know, we put in processes in, in place, and then you have the ability to kind of do what you want and work when you want. And they're like, uh, no, not every business has that. And that's actually something you should share with people. And I came up with a personal purpose statement probably eight, nine years ago. And it was my purpose is to make a difference in people's lives by encouraging them to see beyond what they can see now by serving as their guide. And so I always did that at my training centers, right? I was the guide. I was showing them a different way. And with the new book, Fire Yourself First, that's what I'm trying to do here is just be the guide, just to trigger a thought process that you can take your specifics of your business and start to kind of bring yourself out of the business. And so we all know we shouldn't be working in the business as much as on the business, but that's really hard to do sometimes. It is. And so I kind of have a little four-step process that kind of gets people out of that th way of thinking. Well, we'll get into that in a second. I'm curious. I love what I love what you're saying, and you mentioned the four tenants, which we'll circle back on in a second. I don't. I don't. Admit, I don't miss that as I take notes to listen to your chat here. How much of that is the know-how to get? To, let's just use working in versus on. We'll just use those as as the, as the simple le like two sides of the ledger. How much of it is I don't know how versus in your experience the beliefs around where sometimes value is created, where I feel value as an individual, where I found success before by rolling up my sleeves and just doing it. Uh, some we can all read the books that give us the play of like here's how to do it, but ah, that's just not me or that's not going to work for me. In your experience, how much is it 
where's the balance between that personal set of beliefs that maybe holds you back from doing it versus just the actual playbook of, of how to do it. That's more the logical kind of quantitative side versus often the qualitative side of being a messy human. Great question. And you know, the first step is actually unearthing your personal why. And so that's tying into Simon Sinek, who kind of took it from, you know, Stephen Covey, who took it from, you know, um, (laughs) you know, it just goes back. I can see the first, you know, finding your why in the 1920s, right? 1930s. You get back to read some Napoleon Hill and some of those old, like, it's just all regurgitated (laughs) versions of some of the original stuff, right? (laughs) Absolutely. But it's solid because that's what triggered it, right? If you were, if you were somebody came in and gave you this huge check and you were out, what would you do? Yeah. Okay. If you have no clue, then you need to work on that. Now, when you come and you figure out what your personal why is and mine's to help others, then you can look at different ways of doing it. And all of a sudden there's certain opportunities that arise that you never saw before because you were too close to your business you were in the grind grinding it that you just thought that was your fulfillment but there's so much more so really starting with why which is again as you've said decades uh you know centuries old old concept but you're right we can you know i saw a meme the other day it said stop the glamorization of busy i thought there was a lot of truth to that statement (laughs) we can get lost in our busy (laughs) absolutely Present company included. Um, I have known to be lost in that before. And uh, oh, but look at all that I did. And you're like, hmm, did I just rearrange the, my desk six times, metaphorically <laughs> speaking? Um, so when you start working with with individuals and like from a coaching, so would you consider yourself a coach? I know that's a loose word that gets thrown around pretty openly. You said guide a few times, and maybe I, I shouldn't even try to put coach in there because guide's a powerful word. <laughs> yeah, and I I don't do like one on one coaching, but. I love speaking in front of groups. So when I have my live events, people come to them and I give them everything I got. I hold nothing back, but I'm not a fan of doing the coaching. Yeah, no, I appreciate the honesty in that. Yeah, so I'll coach you live and and that's what I'm trying to do in this book, right? Is kind of give you, I want to trigger you to start thinking outside the box and thinking differently. And from uh, the perspective, do do people, is there, is it an aha moment? And because I've got my audience is you are speaking to the right audience right now, busy people running businesses, management level, ownership level all across the board. Is there a, is there like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, but not for me. Or is there a get it? Or like, I'm assuming like any adoption cycle, there's people all over the curve, right? <laughs> yeah. And what you have to look at, this is the importance that a lot of people are missing, right? I even think if you're doing a startup right now, you need to think of these processes at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's one of the things I like, right. When I'm doing my, I like my live medical training is teaching physicians how to open up their own private cosmetic, uh, practice. Okay. That's basically a startup, new business, hiring some people, you know, offering some procedures, Now, the same, I teach them this at the beginning, and I've been teaching it for 15 years. It's very important to start with the why and putting in processes at the very beginning. Now, you look at me, you know, say you're at the back end of it, right? You've been running your business for 25 years, and you're ready to exit. So what's critical is, and we all know this, valuations greatly increase if you're not critical to the business, 
So you're actually doing your business a, a devaluing your business by being in the business too much. <laughs> you're knocking multiples off the table for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And so if there's one reason to do this is to increase your exit. And how many business owners, this is their retirement fund, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's not RSPs. It's not, you know, savings. Their exit of their business is going to be what's going to help their generation and hopefully the next generation as well. So why would you take off potentially millions of dollars off your business valuation? Because you have an ego that feels that you need to be there. What a you just you just threw the big I, I, the white elf the, the the ego word it plays such a part it's such a motivator and it's such a blinding factor I, I I believe ego is your biggest asset and your biggest adversary if you're not if you don't understand it or appreciate where it's coming from <laughs> yeah for sure so it's so important to um, really take a look at and get your business into the point where it can run with or without you. And if you have an existing um, team already, an existing business, sometimes that is, it is actually much more difficult because you now have to retrain your team to work without you. Mm. And so often when you start sitting back and auditing, you'll notice that your team won't do anything, right? Because they're waiting for you. They're looking for you to make the final decision. Why? Because you've been doing it for 20 years. <laughs> They're not going to change. You've taught them that. So yes, what you created is what you got. And so <laughs> there's a bit of a process needed to, you know, give them the freedom to make the decisions themselves and also make some mistakes. Now, of course, you always want to watch your critical mistakes, right? Those critical numbers. And that's one of my other steps is, you know, you got to have a whole, uh, you got to know your numbers, right? The critical numbers for your business. And so I like to create dashboards for the owners and the senior leadership team where you have your KPIs or OKRs, whatever you're calling them, or a variation of both. That's what I've created. And then you know what your key numbers are. You want to be looking backwards and you always want to look forwards. But what a lot of business owners miss is they miss the winning numbers for the staff. And so your entry-level people, your different levels, they all need to have two to three key numbers that they know what winning looks like to them. And I like to call them scorecards, right? So the owners have dashboards or, you know, like a dashboard of a car that shows the running of the business. But beneath all of them, all of the operators of your business, your team members all have scorecards so they know what's expected of them. You know, it's almost like going to a basketball game. You go there and you're watching and then all of a sudden the main scoreboard breaks and you have no idea. Like in five minutes, I wouldn't have a clue what the score is and how many of your employees go to work and don't know what winning looks like. So it's very important to kind of set that mindset and process up. That helps you get them off of your um, off of them needing you. Mm. Right. So setting up the scorecards and the dashboards and all the way down actually is going to help you exit your business and the reliance they have on you. So don't underestimate doing that. And so I remember in one of my businesses, a healthcare clinic, I did weekly numbers for the team members the previous week, as well as the expected numbers for the upcoming week. And our business went up 30 percent 
just because they knew what was expected to them, right? It wasn't, oh, I have a job. I'm just showing up. I'm going to answer the phones and book people. No, they knew we had to book five of this procedure, seven of this procedure, eight of that procedure. Just having that awareness alone is going to actually increase the productivity of your employees and your bottom line, which is so critical. Because what you're really talking about ultimately is you're empowering them with something that they have optics on and versus taking the power away of you being the the knight on the white horse who often rides in as a manager or as a leader to quote unquote provide that purpose. But purpose is intrinsic. It's not it doesn't come from the outside. Absolutely. So you, personal why was, was was your number one. You said you have, you've, you've, referenced, you've referenced four tenants. You've referenced four steps. Kind of let, let's work our way through. Is, is the second steps really knowing your numbers? Third step. Third step is is your numbers. Okay. Who's going to execute those numbers? Second step is having the right team members in place. And um, in the book, Unearthing Your Personal Why, that's a lot of introspect I want you to think about. That's very personal and it's very different for every single person. You know, your personal why may be I want to spend more time with my grandchildren and my family. Someone else's may be, oh, I want to travel the world. Someone else's, you know, I'd like to go and do medical missions and help people. Like whatever it is, is very specific to you. So that's good. What's not really specific is you need to have a winning team so that you can walk away, right? If they're all reliant on you, then you have a problem. And this was the biggest challenge that I have. And this is the tactical part of the book. Okay, the book's not very tactical, but this section of hiring the right team probably is half of the book. And it has a lot of specific um, details and things to follow. One of the things is we all know we need to hire A players. Everybody knows that, right? So why is an A player, but not all A players are the same right? Some need a lot of guidance. Some come with batteries included and then they're ready to go, right? You just kind of give them some high level guidance and they're doing it and crushing it. So why do we have some people that are on Facebook all day as soon as you turn your face and other people who would never even think of doing that? They want to actually make a difference. And so I came up with this over the years and, you know, the, the critical pivot for me was I had a bad hire maybe eight, nine years ago, and I was too slow and lazy. And so I let, when I realized, you know, I probably realized he was a wrong fit 30, 60 days, but I'm like, well, you know, but you know, the, the assessments say he's the right guy. He's telling me all the right stuff. He's doing everything that he's supposed to or saying, I should correct myself, he's saying everything he's supposed to, but he's actually not producing anything. And, you know, you can usually let someone go within 90 days and, you know, they're good to go. I waited to 120 days, right? That one extra month cost me probably $15,000 in in fees and a go away, right? Because um, I was too slow to make the decision. And when I look back, I'm like, why was this guy so bad? And I had actually brought in, he was a senior leadership COO level person. Oh, senior I level. Had him, yeah. yeah, I had him interviewed by other presidents of companies here in town. And they're all like, yeah, this is the right guy. And then when I look back, I discovered that the, the manipulators, 
the liars they're the most difficult to find because they're very good at the interview process. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. They're very good at, um, you know, selling themselves to the point where it's like, eh, do I really need to do the reference check and reference checks? Another tough one, right? Like, cause you can't, you really want to know what they work, what they're like right now, but you can't just call their existing employer up and say, Hey, how's so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bit of a, you know, and their previous job was eight years before that. So how accurate is that? So sometimes you just like, you use your gut and that's a big mistake, right? Um, sometimes the gut will be right on certain things, but not everything. And that's where I created this 11 step hiring process. And just for example, I hired an EA um, two months ago. And so this is the environment we're in right now. Um, everybody's looking for people. It's tough to find people. I had 380 applicants. Okay. So I'm like, okay, if I spent 30 seconds or a minute reviewing those, that would take up like almost my week and I would be <laughs> out of my 10 days. Right. Yeah, so yeah, totally, completely. Uh, I couldn't work. And so one of the first steps is to have a question. And I always tell people in your covering letter, address it to me and give me your salary range, right? Do I care about the salary range? I know what I'm paying. I always pay over, you know, the usual. Um, And that got me down to uh, from 380 ish to about 60. So out of that, only 60 people cared enough to write me a cover letter or put my name in it to whom it may concern, right? Delete. So what does an EA do? EA is your person who books your travel. They have, they review your documents before they go out for a grammar. So they're kind of detail oriented is important. (laughs) So if you couldn't even read the small detail that says, please address the cover letter to Jeff Russell, then I certainly don't trust you to do my travel booking. Mm -hmm. And so this 11 steps is key. And the other thing that is now, how do they know what winning looks like? And that's the third step is dashboards and scorecards. So once you come up with their key numbers that all drive into your dashboard, that really helps you out. Do you find in your experience that there's a reluctance oftentimes we're just going to touch on the hiring because I think it is it is so critical and anyone who's been in business for any period of time has had the costly mishire. I do find and certainly from even my early days in business to now just the appreciation around the discipline of the role descriptions, the key results areas, the scorecard, like what I find so many smaller companies they're moving so quickly that they diminish that they don't give that enough value they don't put time to put and i I don't mean role description for the sake of role description i mean an actual understanding of what that person's doing i always joke it's it's next wednesday at 10 in the morning what are they expected to do and how are we going to hold them accountable i find in small to medium-sized businesses that's a corner that gets cut way too much i'm not sure if it seems systemic in terms of a problem in my opinion Yeah, what I often see is people, they'll create an org chart, an organizational (laughs) chart, right? And these are, I'm going to have a finance guy. I'm going to have a technology guy. I'm going to have sales marketing. What I like to do is I like to create a process chart. 
So I outline everything that's done in the business. And if you want to systemize and get your business ready for exit, you need to have your processes down. So this is a normal step. And so really look back. So before I hired my EA, for example, I had an inventory of everything that I wanted them to do. Right. So that was the basis, not like I want an EA to book travel, like just go look at a job posting. Right. Uh, I want you to do this and do that. Like it's very ambiguous. I got down to and then the EA, when I got to the final stages, I actually sent them this. I'm like, this is going to be your day to day, because when you're hiring someone, it's got to be a win for you and it has to be a win for them. If it's uncomfortable for them and they don't want to do it, then I don't want to hire them. Right. So <laughs> we're not setting anybody up for success. And that's, yeah, I believe exactly. I, I, the best interviews are mutual. They're, 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 they're assessing and understanding whether they want to come join your team. And you're like, if it's not mutual and there's a misbalance of power there, I think it actually, it hurts the long-term success of that role. <laughs> and that's one of the challenges that I had too, was I have three steps when the hiring process for interview questions, and I'm always looking for culture number one attitude, because I can't train that. If they have an, a history of learning new software packages equal, you know, quickly, then yeah, I can do that in the future. I'm sure they'll be able to do whatever's new because the software we're using today probably is not going to be used in two or three years, right? So we're already training our staff. Chat GPT is part of every role's daily tasks, right? You will use it as a tool to help you. And so, you know, if you're afraid of technology and afraid of learning new things, that's going to be a challenge. And I, in the book, I have actually a listing of all the questions I ask and why, you know, I'll ask, you know, did you find the place? Okay. You know, where I'm looking at is, you know, how do they answer that? Is it like, oh yeah, no problem. I found a parking spot. I found the coffee shop, had a coffee, you know, I arrived 15 minutes early, or am I going to hear, oh, traffic was horrendous, right? There was an accident here and then I couldn't find parking. So sorry, I'm late. Okay. So are you a glass half full or a glass half empty person? right? Is the weather always horrible or is it fantastic? <laughs> well, and, 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 and so much of that is because you've taken the time as a business owner, or as an individual to understand what actually is important in, in your company and what's important to you. And I think that that self-reflection time is something that can fall to the wayside when we're quote unquote, too busy to think, to think it through, right? <laughs> All the, the stories we tell ourselves. <laughs> Okay, so we've got personal why, we've got, you know, hire the right team and all the dynamics. And I appreciate the, the, the level you went to in the book on how to do that. And I kind of agree with you. I'm a really good judge of character if people present themselves accurately. If they want to misrepresent themselves, I don't have any special powers. I've learned that over the years as, as well, thinking you're I'm a good judge of character and, and then finding out after, oh my God, I blew that completely because <laughs> they were very good at presenting their story. Know your numbers. What's number four? Mm. Number four is your autonomous exit. So, mm. you know, one of the terms I use is, sure, I'm taking a riff off of autonomous cars, but my goal here for you, and it is, it's been my goal, and this is how I live it, is I have an autonomous business, one that runs with or without me. And so if I want to take a month off or, you know, I only work you know, my 10 days a month, I can do that. It's not going to impact the operations of the business because I have all the key pieces in place. And so the autonomous exit is really um, giving me the freedom. 
And so for me, and the reason I wrote this book was I want to give business owners the ability to choose whether they want to stay in their business and keep it forever or if they want to sell it. And often what happens is you're not ready to sell your business. How many of you have heard of people who've sold their business and are extremely unhappy? You know, I have a friend who sold their business for $40 million and had opened up a family office, and that's great, but very, very unhappy, went through depression probably for a year or two after. So it's not a, a clear thing. So do you want to go through that? So sometimes that's what you think is next. So you don't, you don't sell your business and you want to stay in it because you feel that's what it is. And, you know, this is kind of a crude metaphor, but I look at the businesses as an ATM, right? So if the business is going to run with or without you and produce cash, then you've got yourself an ATM. And when I evaluated that eight-figure exit, I looked at how what my cash flow was and how what the multiple was. And I'm like, you know what? If it's throwing off a couple of million dollars a year, you know, by the time I'm done taxes and all the other stuff that has to do with it, you know, the the capital gains exemptions, really nothing for Canadians when you're talking, you know, five, six, you know, well, you know, six, seven, eight figures, right? Like your tax savings, like $150,000, right? Like, so it's when you're talking tens of millions, don't leave pennies on the, on the, on the floor here. Don't worry about those. And so that's not a bit, you know, so there's not a lot of benefits here. So when I looked at it, controlling it, and that's why I kind of shifted into the family office. So my family office is my retirement fund, right? So I invest in investments, right? I invest in startups. I invest in a lot of variety of um, companies, operating companies. I only invest typically if I can bring my secret sauce and be able to analyze scale and uh, prepare them, you know, get them operationally excellent very quickly. Otherwise, I don't really have any desire just to put money in for money's sake. And so that's what I was using. So I was taking the cash flow out of my uh, operating business and putting it into the family office and then reinvesting it in other stuff. So for me, that's how I looked at it. So I didn't want it. Now, in three to five or 10 years, I may decide, hey, I'm ready to exit this business because I had four venture capital uh, PE firms call me up just before um Christmas asking, you know, to start discussions. So there's a lot of activity because a lot of the businesses, they're looking for high cash flow businesses. And when you're doing 20, 30, 40% cash flow, that's a nice business they like to tack on to their portfolio, right? And they have no interest in running your business at all. They want you and your team to be in there. But if you want the freedom to choose, then you have to have the business being able to run with or without you. Well, it's so, it's so it does such a positive job of shifting the paradigm of like the next step is to exit. Like that always seems like if you look at the if someone drew it out on the board, well, we start and we grow and if men and you got to exit and move on. For a lot of people, I think you're also providing a bit of a new paradigm of like, well, what if it is an ATM and what if it is something that really fills you up? But your why then allows you to 
you know, to work at it, these, this, this create the space in your life to do these other things. Cause really what is wealth? Is it time? Is it freedom? Like it's, it really forces you to redefine what that next step might be versus like, well, geez, you need to exit. Cause that's just the stage you're at. And I think that there's a lot of pressure or certainly a lot of media or that's where the stories you always, Oh, this exit and that exit versus hearing you talk about, no, no, I realized that I actually wasn't ready for that. And financially it actually didn't even make sense when I ran the numbers that that big number was maybe three, four years of operating profit. So that didn't even make sense when you, when you ran it out. I do appreciate you providing a different paradigm on the table. <laughs> yeah, no, because that was what I was taught. Like yeah. five years ago, I had a big number, you know, you started a million dollars, you go oh, $2 million revenue, you're at five, you know, and then you're multiple, your businesses were 10 million. And then you, like, it was always to exit. It was always to exit. I didn't know any other way because all the books, that's all they said was you have to exit. (laughs) And then you're hearing, oh, I sold to Google. I sold to this. Well, that's not my business. I'm not in technology, really. Right. I'm in health and wellness. So that's the industry and the space that I'm in. And sure, maybe there's an opportunity, but that wasn't my focus. Right. So I was just, yeah, I'm going to, someone's going to buy me and that's going to be my exit. That was how I built the business. And then it really, you don't have to, right? Because when I'm 60, 70, 80, why don't, like there, well, what else would I do, right? <laughs> I, I just, well, but, but now but, at least I have the choice. And if I only want to work three days a month, I can do that. But in the absence of the why, back to your original kind of foundation of what, why it is step one, in the absence of the why, keeping your business actually facilitates your why in a better way. So like that actually kind of answers that question immediately. If my why is this and this business allows me to do that, then selling it, I would have to then spool up a new way to execute on my why considering my current environment allows me to do that. But so the North Star, the why, like we all know about it, but I know a lot of business owners just call them humans. We don't kind of glamorize them as business owners. Don't take the time to do that. And they struggle with it. You and I are both in an executive group. I've been in this conversation many, many times over the years with people that from the outside have quote unquote made it, but they still feel this need to drive and there's an angst and an uncomfortableness. And when you ask the why, the answer is just growth or profit margin or it's not really a why. (laughs) It's just a thing. (laughs) Yeah, because you have to go beyond that. And I like... and. Don't think that, hey, I'm going to go this weekend, I'm going to go to the mountains, I'm going to get an Airbnb or stay in a nice hotel, and you're going to come out of that with your why, right? My why probably took me a year and a half, right, to come out with. So, but just have, just start writing, right? I want you to go to the mountains, get out of your (laughs) normal zone and do that, but don't, don't have the expectation that you're going to have a final why. And I think... I tweaked it for about a year, year and a half until I actually have the same why I've had for eight years. So it hasn't changed since then. And it, when I look at everything that I've done, I'm very congruent to it, right? Like I do live my why. And so that's why, like, I won't invest in a business I can't add value to because it doesn't help me guide them, right? I have a lot of unique knowledge Right. I'm not, you know, and I and specialize knowledge and I want to give that and help people. Right. So but the people who want to be helped. <laughs> yes, that's a good asterisk. How often do you revisit your you know, you said you've had the same why for eight years. Do you purposely take a time every year where you sit down and take a look at it? And are, am I still congruent? Is that consistent or is it something you're checking in on almost on, a, on the regular? There, I would say every week. Right. Like 
You know, it is, it comes up every week and, you know, it comes up when I'm analyzing investment opportunities, right? I look at that. Is that congruent to my why? So I'm looking at, you know, doing an early startup and this is, you know, where they're at. I'm like, is that congruent? Right. I have somebody else who wants me to throw money in a PE fund where I have no control and I have no ability to improve the valuation of that. It doesn't it does it doesn't meet that requirement. Right. So then I won't. So I'm you will find that if it's a true why you will make decisions daily and even in family and friends, right? You'll make that decision. Is this someone who enriches my life? So there are times where there's some people in your life that it's time to let them go, right? Like if they, if you have dinner with someone and they drain you, then yeah, that's probably not a good relationship, right? It's tough and you don't sever it, but you do kind of want to detach yourself from that. Anything that doesn't bring you joy and energy. When you're, I'm camping out on the why here because I think it's so important and it's a concept we're all aware of, but we can all learn more about. <clears throat> Do you start with focusing on why for your business versus why for you? And, and again, I like they're not separate, but yet they are sometimes, but yet they're still together. The day blends, especially for the entrepreneur, the business owner, the leader. What is work life? What is balance? It's how you fit it all in sometimes. Do you recommend starting with it in relation to work and then biting it off one piece at a time? Or do you recommend looking at the whole person when you, when you dive into the why? For me, I started with the business because that's kind of what I needed I didn't even really think, to be honest, I didn't even think about me. Right? And I was just like, oh, yeah, I got to do a why. And then I'm going <laughs> to follow Toyota's five whys. And so that's a nice little exercise that I do. And I outline it in the book as well. But you can just Google Toyota's five whys. And whenever you're analyzing a problem at work or you're developing your why, I bring the senior leadership team together and we do the five whys. Right? What is our, what are we trying to do? Why are we in business? Who are we trying to help? What problem am I going to solve? Right? So, you know, you know, why should they care? Why should my customer care? Right? So that all helps develop the why for your business. And then I'm thinking, you know what? If you could do it for the business, this could be, you know, maybe I should start doing this for personal. Because often when you're a smaller business, right? You're not a big, huge organization. The owner's vibe personality sets the culture for the entire company, right? So you are the culture. And so culture is so important. It'll either attract certain people and detract other people. And so I remember years ago, we're like, what is the culture? What do we want to be? And we had everyone in there. And then a brilliant, um, uh, owner of a big marketing firm in Nashville told me, you know what? You're the culture, right? What you do. So you can get your team together and they can tell you the culture, but what happens is really in your control, how you handle things, how you respond to things sets the tone and the culture for it. And so that really ties together as well. So you're, and you know what? You get that right. You started the business, you're the founder, you know, or if you're a CEO just brought in for it, again, your vibe, you're running it, then your culture, your personality is going to come through there as well. 
Reminds me of the, you know, leading by example isn't the best way. It's the only way kind of comment. (laughs) (laughs) For your own personal journey, coaches, external resources, just, you know, ways of, you know, introspection can be jerky for people. Oftentimes, you know, we joke at Clermotive, you can't see the label when you're inside the bottle and we are often firmly inside of our own bottles. I appreciate the amount of content and reading and expert advice that you consume. Any advice for anybody listening who is trying to quote unquote do it themselves versus having surrounding themselves with people that will support them, but also like also challenge them. I don't, I don't mean people that are just going to tell you you're doing great and you look good today and you're doing high fives. People that are actually call you on stuff when you're not congruent how much is that a factor that and do you recommend that absolutely and it, you can start small right i spend currently probably a hundred thousand dollars a year on coaching right so high level coaching and i make that money back 10 times um, so it's not even a no-brainer right so that's kind of the level you want to kind of get to um, and you don't even hesitate the experiences and the level as you go up is unimaginable. But when I started, even in Calgary, there were small little groups of four or five people, small business owners who just wanted to get together. I joined the Chamber of Commerce. I just wanted to be around other people. And that's the key. And this is a thing that I don't think is successful during the pandemic and the era of Zoom calls is you need to physically be near. The proximity, I think, is very important because you really get a better feeling for the person and as well. So if there's any groups that you can be a part of, you want to absolutely do that. And as you grow, right, you look at EO, you look at YPO, you look at um, uh, Vistage as well as a, as a good one. Um, there's strategic coach, there's entree leadership. There's a lot of national ones as well. So start to think about where you're going to go. The other thing is you don't stay in those groups forever, right? You grow out of them as well, potentially. So I grew out of the chamber of commerce. For me, it seemed like it was all real estate agents and life insurance people. So I'm like, <laughs> that's been know, my experience kinda, as well. <laughs> not exactly, but at least I was there, right? Yep. And I could get a feeling for it. So it wasn't the right group for me. You know, Vistage is a local one. That's the right group for me because I have counterparts in different industries. No one's a competitor and they challenge you. Um, because you're, if you want to feel good, your team's usually the your cheerleader, right? Which is why you need someone else. You need a private advisory board, right? And that's the next level is bringing in an advisory board for your business. But don't do it all friends. And like, I want, I don't want everyone to say, yeah, you're doing a great job. It's like, yeah, we, we are, but that's not why you're here. It's like, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? That's who you need. You need people around you who know what you're not seeing or bringing in that they're using a technology um, that, you know, they've been using for three or four months, like ChatGPT, for example, right? There are people where I was introduced to that last year and I'm like, ah, that's the craziest thing ever. I'm not going to do that. Now it's a daily part of our lives in three months later, right? So you can't not accept this. Right. So you want to have the future looking right, not just the grind. Right. You want to always have a future looking community with you. Well, and you made a comment earlier about, you know, part of your success and part of your um, 
the opportunities you've created is by living in the future, living that two to three years out. And there's also the argument, if you're sucked into your business every day, and to me, that's an on the business strategy, uh, a tactic, not an in the business tactic. But if you don't create a little bit of space for yourself, you know, as someone said to me years ago, you know, the higher you go, the less stuff is on, it should be on your desk, the more stuff is in your head versus the administrator who's got a you know a desk covered with papers or maybe a desktop full, full, full of tabs. And like, it's easy to flip off, like living two to three or thinking two to three years in the future. But it, it's a real discipline to do that and to be good at it and to do it all the time when the fires are today. The alligators are in your office, as they say. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's tough because you don't see an ROI. I know generally when I'm hiring, and this was my, and this has to be your attitude when you're first hiring, I only hire people who make me money, right? If you don't make the business money, you're not hired, right? So sales, you know, like people who are creating products for them to sell, right? Like there has to be, that's got to be your focus. Once you get the revenue coming in, the profit margins coming in, one of your first hires and the first hire I regret not making sooner is an EA, an executive assistant, right? To help you. Because if you don't have an EA, that means you're the EA. And do you really want to be booking airfare hotels and all of that? I calculate, okay, this is how much I make in a year. I divide it by 2080. That's a 40 hour work week, even though I don't work that, but, and I'm like, that's my hourly rate. So I look at that dollar amount and I say, okay, can I hire someone for less than this to do this? And many of us already have lawn people, that we have pool people, we have cleaners that clean our house. Like we already do that, but we don't do it in our business. So if they can free you up so that you can think forward, that's the only way. Because if you're not growing, you're actually dying. Right. It's kind of <laughs> there, like there is, there is no there is no staying still. I agree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to be thinking forward or something could get you. Right. And we're seeing a lot of industries really got that didn't adapt during COVID didn't make it. Yeah. And others are having the best years of their lives, the best growth they've ever had. And so, for example, like my business, we were doing live training. We were doing clinical training, showing people how to do procedures in, you know, a big training center in Scottsdale, Arizona. And COVID hit and we, okay, we can't do that anymore. So we're like, well, how do you do live training? What do we do? We went to uh, online training. Mm-hmm. Right. And now we almost make more online training than we do on live training. Amazing. So is that going to be the future, though, in three years? I don't know, right? With VR, with ChatGPT, with other technologies, is that going to disrupt that industry? And I think ChatGPT, not to hijack the conversation, is a good, let's look at what industries they could be disrupting. Like when you look at the industries that are no longer going to be needed because of ChatGPT, you better be aware of what's going on and be thinking about how this is going to impact you. And it does impact online training. So I'm aware of that. So how is that going to help me? Mm-hmm. How can I utilize ChatGPT not to eradicate me, but to actually pivot me and grow me in a whole different direction that I never saw? It's the people who sit back and then they wait a year from now when ChatGPT has annihilated their business and everyone's doing you know, copywriting online or getting their legal documents you know, reviewed or even medical you know, assessments done through AI. So what is, you know, did you see that? 
So yeah, yeah. that's my warning right now. All businesses, you may not think this is AI is going to impact your business, but are you sure? And if you're not taking the time to really think about that, some thinking time, it could really hurt you. Yeah. Well, the short answer is someone else is, right? <laughs> if you're not, someone else is. <laughs> uh, Jeff, when's the book come out? The book will be out at the end of April. Oh, so fantastic. Okay. So probably right out. around. We'll time this. We'll be right around. Yeah. If you're listening to this, you can get access to it. Uh, fire yourself first. Where do, where, do, where do I find it? Is it going to be in all the places? Do I go to the website? What's the best? Yeah, absolutely. We um, will be on Amazon, obviously, and Barnes & Noble, all the big booksellers. So we'll, you'll be able to get it there. And uh, Amazon uh, as well. So we'll have a link to that. Uh, and our, we created a website with some free resources. So if you want my 11-step hiring process and you want the Clarity Map, which is a, kind of a little tool I use to get clear of the next three years, 90 days, you know, 30 days to keep you focused on what's important, you can download those tools for free as well. And that's on our website, fireyourselffirst.com. And if you click the about, you can uh, connect with me as well. So if you want, if you have any questions or, or um, something you want to discuss, hey, hit me up on there as well. And that's uh, www.fireyourselffirst.com. I'm on there right now, live and live and ready to rock. Get your pre-orders in. Are you going on a bit of a tour on this one? Are you going to like, how hard are you going to push this thing? I'll be doing a big uh, lot. Well, we have a launch party coming up on uh uh, April 28th, which is the nice. official launch date yep, of the nice. book. And then we, in June, we have a big launch as well in Scottsdale and, and I'll, I'll be around, right. I've already have a lot of different industries that are interested in this, which is interesting. Like even in the pre, um, you know, review of the book, right. The franchise industry is interested because the most successful franchisees are ones who have multiple locations and they have to think them and the biggest issue a franchise or has getting people thinking out of that, this is a job. Yeah, like yeah. you have your one location, you have a job. You have five locations, you've got a business. And as the, even the insurance industry as well, financial planning industry as well, they have their book of business. They've got to start hiring and growing. So it's quite interesting, uh, the uh, breadth of the, the topic. Amazing. Well, Jeff, I love your energy for it. And, you know, there's people that write books and there's people that live things and then write books about it. And I love that you fall into the, la- into the latter category, the credibility and the, the life lived that you have to put behind this. Uh, it's super exciting. I'm, I'm anxious to read it. I've read many business books as well. And I love the practical nature. And uh, my first career was a pilot. And uh, there's no industry that loves checklists and procedures <laughs> and step-by-steps more than that industry, I would say, or put it right up there. And listening to you talk, I love that you have a process and you have a step-by-step checklist for literally everything you've put together which at, at its core allows other people to now replicate and try it so much easy, so much easier than here's a philosophy on something here's actually the steps I, I use and i really kudos to you for doing it that way i think that makes it really valuable for a business owner who has those 10 minutes to pick up that book maybe five minutes and get hooked in and then try and then try something piece by piece right mm-hmm. Absolutely. And remember, these tools are all for you to customize and personalize, right? Don't ever take a tool that you find anywhere, right? And say, oh, this is the exact same thing. (laughs) It's up to you now to adjust it to make it work with you. I love it. Words of wisdom. Thank you, Jeff. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And I'm excited to uh, get a copy copy of this book in my hands. (laughs) Absolutely. It was a pleasure speaking with you, Tyler, and I wish you all the best. Thank you, sir.